Good morning. My name is Brandon, one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. Um, as he said, we're doing a series in a series uh, commemorating, remembering, celebrating the 500th anniversary of the uh, Protestant Reformation. Woohoo! All right, there we go. Um, one of y'all excited about it. Thank you for that. A lot of work going into it for one of y'all. Okay. Um, if you weren't here the first couple of weeks, let me tell you what the Protestant Reformation is. Uh, for uh, several centuries, for the early part of uh, the Christian church from Jesus on, um, things were okay. And then uh, theological error just crept in, and then it crept a little bit more, and the church began to drift and drift and drift and drift until uh, 12, 13, 1400s, a group of men and women said, no more, no more, taking a stand no more. We're going to recover the purity of the gospel. And then on October 31st, 1517, a man named Martin Luther, who is the namesake of Martin Luther King, you might not have known that, MLK wasn't born Martin Luther, it was Michael Luther, but his father changed his name after Martin Luther. Nailed, that was free, that wasn't part of the sermon. Um, Nailed his 95 theses and the Protestant Reformation was born. From there, We came to have what we call the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. But here's the thing. The the, the goal of the Reformation was never to divide the church. It was to recover the purity of the gospel and through that recovery, reform the church. And in that rediscovering of the purity of the gospel, we recovered what we call the five solas. Sola, the Latin word for alone. And so the five solas that we think are at the heart of the purity of the gospel are Scripture alone, the glory of God alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And so week one, we we said Scripture, it's not our only authority, but it is our final and our highest authority. Then last week, we said the glory of God is our ultimate aim and ambition. And this week, we hit grace alone, and so let's get started. So here's a question. How am I saved? What, what is required for salvation? Th- this is actually not a distinctly Christian question. Now, generally speaking, uh, outside of Christian circles, we don't talk like that, but it's not a distinctly Christian question. It is a fundamental human question. It's why Luce Ferry um, Luce Ferry, who's, I, I've quoted him before, he's, probably my, he's a French atheist philosopher. He's probably my favorite uh, living philosopher right now. He, he's not the kind of guy who breaks new intellectual ground. What he does is he looks at humanity and synthesizes it and puts it in bite-sized form uh, that we can understand. He, he would say um, that irrespective uh, of philosophy or religion, that the fundamental search has been for a way to deal with death. What, what he's saying is that every religion, every philosophy has a, what he calls a doctrine of salvation, a way to deal with the effects and the reality of death in our lives, that saying the, the answer, longing for an answer to the question, how am I saved, it's hardwired, woven into humanity. And leading up to the Reformation, uh, the church, the church had an answer as well. And here was the catchphrase, here was the answer to the question, Here's, here, here was the Uh, the comment on the ground, this is how it looked. It was like this. God will not deny his saving grace to those who do their part. God will not deny his saving grace to those who do what they can. And so grace, yes, everybody's always believed grace has been a part 
of salvation, but it was grace plus my part. And so grace plus my part equals salvation, which leads to, you can imagine, um, a life gripped with anxiety, right? Have I done enough? Have I, done, have I met the standard? Have I done enough? But what about today? What's our answer to the question? Well, um, the truth is that today, we generally speaking have our own version of their answer, right? Our answer today, it's less sophisticated than theirs was, uh, but it's this. God helps those who help themselves. I mean, let me tell you some stats. Survey. 84% of Americans, and I believe American Christians, but I can't say that for certain, but certainly 84% of Americans uh, thought that was a biblical, think that is a biblical concept. 50% of Christians, you ready? 50% of Christians think that's a direct biblical quote, which means in this room right now, some of you guys are going, isn't it? Like, it is. Proverbs, it sounds like a proverb. Proverbs say, I can see it on the page, Brandon. I can see where it's highlighted in my Bible. It is a proverb. Your grandmamas, not Solomon's. Runs counter. Runs counter to everything that the scriptures have to say, which is going to lead where? Same place. Because the point is, we have our own same answer. Grace plus my part equals salvation. It's going to lead where? Anxiety. Have I done enough? Have I met the standard? Have I lived up to the standard. Grace plus my part means I have an earthly and truncated view of what salvation is. And Paul, the author of Ephesians, is going to open this letter, taking a direct bomb right in and say, no, 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 no more, no more. He's going to say the answer to the question, how am I saved? He's going to address it by elevating our view of what salvation is. And in doing so, he's going to get right to the heart of grace alone. So let's get started. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Brandon, why, why, why start a sermon on grace alone with the introduction? I mean, isn't that just like the ancient way of saying, hey man, what's up? Um, no, no. In this introduction... In this introduction is Paul's theological heart of what salvation is. You want to you know how Paul, um, who wrote much of the New Testament, defines salvation? It's two words. You ready? In Christ. In Christ. In the faithful. In Christ Jesus. That's why in this letter to Ephesians, 22 times he uses in Christ in him. In his letters, 119 times. And so why does it matter that we start a sermon on grace alone uh, within Christ? I'm going to let John Calvin answer that for us. For if salvation is in Christ, it is outside ourselves. It is not because we deserve it, but in short, the name of Christ excludes all merit. For when he says we are chosen in Christ, it follows that in ourselves we are unworthy. He's saying, hey, listen, here's why it matters that you start with the words in Christ, because you, you, you want to go searching for salvation, you better look outside yourself. You better not just start within, you better look outside yourself. Don't, don't look within, look outside, which I know that's not what Whitney Houston sang about. Did I date myself? Any of you guys get that? Three of y'all? Okay. I turned 40 in January. It's not my fault. 
Well, here's why it matters. That if grace, if salvation is in Christ, that means it's not in comparison. Because listen, if it's grace plus my part, my part needs a measurable, right? I've got to have some way of measuring, did I do enough? And it's either going to be my own moral standard or it's going to be in comparison to the person next to me, which will always lead one of two places, insecurity, pride. Right, insecurity, um, I just don't think I've done enough for God to be happy with me. I'm just afraid, like maybe, like yeah, I want to believe, but maybe I haven't quite done enough. Or pride, I've done my part, why can't you do yours? Why can't you just get it? I just don't see why they keep walking back in the same thing over and over and over. Don't they, can't they just figure it out? Insecurity, pride, it's one of the two roads you're going to go down every time. And this is not novel, what I'm talking about right here. This is not a novel, this is not a Reformation problem. It's not a modern problem. Jesus knows that it's a human problem. It's why he gave the parable in Luke 18. He has told us this parable of some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. There's the two roads. I look within and I'm righteous, baby. I've done it. Or you who don't live up, contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Here was the mantra of the Pharisee, I've done my part. I've done my part. They haven't done their part. Thank you that I'm not like them. I have done my part. But if salvation is in Christ and not in comparison, it means I don't have to live like the Pharisee. I don't have to live this constant horizontal life thinking how do I stack up compared to the person next to me. Theological heart of salvation, what Paul zeroes us in on, the center of the bullseye in Christ. And then from in Christ, he now takes us to his heavenly view of salvation. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And listen, there are some verses in the Bible that are simply too lofty for a man to understand. This is one of them. The the, the word uh, blessed, blessed be God who blessed us, every spiritual blessing, same word used three times. uh, Adjective, noun, verb. Too lofty for human understanding to fully grasp what's happening there, but it it does need to be said. And in a minute, D.A. Carson, I think, is going to look back and maybe help us understand, but it does need to be said um, that what we know it's not uh, is that blessing is not the house, the car, promotion. Got those Benjamins, baby, just rolling out. It's what you have in Christ. It's the eternal realities that you have in Him. But because it's heavenly, it's also eternal. Verse 4, even as He even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And Paul goes from a 
heavenly view now to an eternal view that when he talks about your salvation, he talks about it in terms from eternity past to eternity future, that before the world existed, God set his heart on you, set his heart on you that you would be in Christ and we would be in Christ and in Christ we would be like Christ eternally holy and blameless before him. You, me, had his heart set on us before the world existed. And there is so much, so much theological debate on this verse. Questions like, man, Brandon, is he really saying that like before the world existed, he chose us in him? Our answer to that question matters. And since Sam Storms says it better than me, I'm going to let him, he's a pastor up in Oklahoma, older that I look up to. If I didn't believe in the sovereignty of God, looking at this verse, this is what Sam has to say. If I didn't believe in the sovereignty of God, I would utterly and absolutely despair of my eternal destiny and that of everyone else. That fear would be utterly paralyzing. I would never be able to rest in the assurance of salvation or give such assurance to anyone else if I didn't affirm the sovereignty of God. And in the context, Sam, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I, I know me. Like I'm 58, 59, 60, and I know me. I know my life, I know my thoughts, I know my actions. And I know that if salvation is within me, I got no hope. But if my salvation is grounded in the eternal heart of God for me, I can walk in assurance. I can walk in confidence. And I think, I think that is incredibly important for some of us in this room. Because if we did a show of hands, and we're not going to do a show of hands, but if we did a show of hands and said, man, who in the last two weeks, three weeks, month, month and a half, year have just blown it? I mean, just blown it. Or if we inverted it and went, hey, raise your hand if you've just never blown it. Like you just rolled through life, no problems. You'd be lying right now, so we'd call that a problem. You're blowing it right now if you raise your hand to that question. One ounce of honesty, two ounces of self-awareness, and all of us know that salvation can't be found within, that we need the eternal heart of God to be set on us for us to walk in confidence and assurance that we are his and he is ours. The Reformation... They had an answer. You want assurance? Do your part. Do your part. Paul, look at where salvation came from and look at where it's heading. And let that be all the assurance you need. It takes us from heavenly to eternal, but now, now he gets to the experiential side of things. In love, verse 4, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Love is an eternal characteristic of God. That's why it's scriptures, God is love. And love, the eternal heart of God, love moved him to action before action was needed. What was the action? Your adoption. And you would be adopted into his family and listen to me, you who are in this room right now and you struggle to give grace to yourself, no problem with grace for others, but you struggle with grace for yourself, 
you who are still functionally living the grace plus life going, man, I just don't know that I've measured up. I don't know that I have quite done enough. Listen to Paul in Ephesians that before the world existed, before you had done anything good or bad, before you had done what is regrettable, and I know you've done what is regrettable, so have I. Before you have done it, before you did it, before the world existed, God set his gaze on you and said, that one, you're going to be my child. You're going to be mine. Love moved him to action for you. And what adopted parent, what what adopting parent have you ever heard had the conversation that went like this? Yeah, I, I went to the adoption agency. Uh, they showed me five pictures, five six-month-olds. The kids are all cute. They're fine. Uh, and I said, yeah, we definitely want one, but here's my question. Uh, which of these is going to be the easiest and most obedient teenager? That's the one we want. You ever heard that convo? No. No. Because you know what no parent has ever said? The kid who earns my love in the future is the one I will love today. Never been said. This is taking us back to when God set his heart on you and said, hey, you have to earn it. You don't have to earn it. What parents do is they take these five pictures and they say, I'm going to take that one. Let's adopt that one. And then they look at one another, they tear up, their heart swells in love, and they say, that one's going to be our child. And what this is saying is that God looked out at you. Love swelled up. And he said, that one, that one, he, she are going to be my child. Why you? Why me? I don't know. That's according to the purpose of his will, not mine. What I do know is that in love, he adopted us as his children, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, literally the glory of his grace. What's grace is generous disposition toward you and toward me, and here is where we get to the heart of grace alone, the glory of his grace, that God's grace has always and eternally been about God's glory. Like it, you want to know why grace alone matters? Grace alone matters so that God gets the glory alone. His grace and his glory have always been linked. Last week we said God's glory is our ultimate ambition. You know why? His glory is his ultimate ambition. When his glory is our ultimate ambition, it's pulling our life in line with his because that is his ultimate ambition. It's why Jesus, right before he's heading to the cross, he, uh, um, he, he goes into prayer and he opens the prayer like this, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Grace alone means God gets the glory alone. His grace has always been about his glory. Grace with which, verse 6, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. That's another name for Christ. It's the title. Don't have time to go into that now. The one that in him, in whom we have redemption, the redemption to be bought back through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, that through his blood we were bought back. Brought back from what? 
bought back from what? From the effects of Genesis 3, that when Adam and Eve walked into sin, you and I became a slave to our selfish desires, our broken desires. And the blood of Jesus has entered in, paid for all of it. Every night that you regret, it has been paid for. Everything that you wish you could do over, paid for. Paid for. And D.A. Carson, this is where he's going to help us. He says, hey, listen, when you're reading this verse, a lot of important words you need to read, but don't miss these four. There's four in here that you can't miss. In him we have. In him we have. He says, in him we already participate in the benefits of the future redemption of the world from evil, which God assured us through Christ's atoning death. In him we have. Why? Why? Because I've done my part? No. Because of the riches of his grace. His overwhelming, majestic, glorious Grace. Grace, verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Grace, grace that in Christ has been lavished upon you. Lavished, a word that we don't have a good translation for to be multiplied upon multiplied upon multiplied, abounding. It's as if in the, that, that in Christ he's saying to us like an adopted father would say to his child, all that I have is yours. Hey, 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 my son, my daughter. I, when I adopted you into my family, you're, you're not on the fringes. It's not like there's the biological in you guys. You, you are with them. All that I have, yours. What, do you have to earn it? No, you don't have to earn it. It's part of the grace of being in my family. No, you don't have to earn it. All that I have, yours. All that I have is yours. But this adoption, this being brought into the family of God, it wasn't just about you. He set it forth in Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The phrase unite all things, it's an accounting term. You accountants in the room, throwing you a bone right now. Even back then, they got made fun of. Paul's like, no, I'm going to stick it in there. I'm going to clean that up. It's the ledger, Christ, all things summed up, united, added up. When you add it all up, it's Christ uniting all things, not division, all things united together in Christ. This is, this is the story that you and I are caught up in. You know what that story is? That God, by grace alone, is redeeming, reconciling all things in Christ. All things. You Listen, the, the brokenness that you've walked through, it's being redeemed in Christ. And listen, when we talk about adoption and parents and uh, I, meeting the Father's expectations versus I, I know what that pings in some of us. Like I look around the room right now and I, I see people adopted. 
I see people uh, who didn't grow up with parents. I see people like myself who parents divorced early, never felt like we met their expectations. I I know what it's like to grow up thinking, um, does my dad love me? I know what it's like, and I know you do too. And grace alone means that in Christ, that is being healed. Not because you've done your part, but because he adopted you. It means that when we go uh, uh, to our neighbor, when we leave our apartment and we walk down the hallway and we go to door 433 and we knock on the door and we get over the anxiety, like I met them six months ago, I don't remember their name, I'm afraid to go reintroduce myself. And I say, hey, why don't you come and have dinner? And you have a meal around a table and you talk life and you, uh, you learn their story, you share your story, and you talk about what it is that you love the most. Hopefully that's Jesus. You know what you're doing? You're extending the grace that you have been given, inviting them into this grand, global, cosmic story of God redeeming all things in Christ. When we say, hey, it's time to start new parishes, it's time to multiply out new ones, create some relational space, new communities of men and women learning to follow Jesus and inviting others to do the same. You know what we're doing? We're inviting people in to the grand, cosmic, gracious story of God redeeming all things in Christ. When we start new churches, when we plant new churches, new communities of Men and women learning to follow Jesus and inviting others to do the same. You know what we're doing? We're, we're extending the grace that we've been given, inviting others to come and have their story redeemed in this cosmic, global, redemptive story. When we say, hey, we're, we're, we're partnering with these four organizations to, to see justice and mercy take hold in our city, that our city might be a more just and merciful place to live, and we need you guys to go and engage. You know what we're doing? We're, we're going and being hands and feet of the grace of God that we might have other people come and experience all things being redeemed by the grace alone in Christ. This is the story that you and I are caught up in. Grace alone so that God gets the glory alone. Luciferi was right. We're all searching for salvation. Where he falls short is the lack of recognition that someone's going to get the glory for the answer, how am I saved? For the church, 700 years ago, the glory went to us. I'm the dispenser of grace. But for Paul and for us, Grace alone, so that God gets the glory alone. Is Ephesians 1 the most practical passage in the Bible? No. But what Paul wants is for your heart to soar in Christ. That you might take what has been given to you by grace and you might get off the ground level, have your mind and heart taken to the heavens. And you might see the heavenly, eternal plan that God has for you. And that in that, maybe you might learn to extend grace to yourself and those around. Because all that you have, all that you will ever have, all that you will ever need, 
you have by grace alone. Let's pray. Father, I am not unaware of the pain that comes when we talk about adoption, but I pray that that where, where conversation around father, fatherhood brings up pain from our childhood, pain from our present, I pray, Lord, I pray you'd meet us in it and that you'd remind us, you'd remind us that grace plus our part is just not, it's not how it works. It might be how it works on an earthly level, but it's not how it works with you. Grace alone, that you sent your son to stand in the gap for us. That we might know the experience of met expectations because Jesus met them for us. Grace alone. So you get the glory alone. Let that be the mantra of our life, the mantra of our church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.